0: Hello I'm John Dennis, it's Tuesday the 24th of November. Today, it's déjà vu as another official inquiry into the Iraq war opens.
1: Short of a public hanging of Tony Blair, which is what this is really all about, uh, you wonder what would satisfy them.
0: A man who was wrongly believed to have been in a coma communicates with the
2: outside world after 23 years. He said he'll never forget the day they discovered me. It was my second birth. He said I had to dream myself away.
0: We'll consider the best way for schools to teach the harsh realities of war.
2: You
3: realise what? must be going through their minds and they do different things in our world.
0: We'll find out why Britons are eating more and more blueberries grown in the UK.
4: If we look five years ago, the total consumption in the UK was about 2,000 tonnes throughout the year, and this year we're going to hit probably nearer 10,000 tonnes.
0: And Tim Berners-Lee, creator of the World Wide Web, on the data that's being freed up by the government.
5: It may involve them sort of figuring out how a virus is spreading, it may involve them you know, tracking down the crime.
0: But first, here's Bill Overton with the news.
6: The inquiry into the Iraq war opens today with evidence from senior civil servants in the Foreign Office and the Ministry of Defence. The televised proceedings will begin by examining the policies that led to the invasion in 2003. But The Guardian's been told by senior judges the inquiry won't be able to decide whether the war was legal because the panel doesn't include any lawyers. People flooded out of their homes in Cumbria over the weekend have been warned there might be new floods. Forecasters say there could be up to another four inches of rain today, the Environment Agency is also concerned about the River Severn around Shrewsbury on the Welsh border. Temporary defences against the river overflowing have been put up. There's a new warning these weather changes show the dangers of climate change. The Royal Society and the Met Office say the heatwave of 2003 across Europe, the floods of 2007 and droughts around the world show the extremes likely in irreversible climate change. The Conservatives are making a pledge to cut emissions if they're elected to government. Shadow Chancellor George Osborne promises the party would cut emissions in Whitehall by 10%. He also wants to persuade householders to recycle by giving them shopping vouchers. Police are arresting people just to get them on the DNA database, claims the Human Genetics Commission. It alleges police officers are being told to arrest for everything and so go on to take DNA samples. The chairman says our national database is now the largest in the world and that people are there not because they've been convicted but because they've been arrested. That's the story on the front page of The Times, which says arrests are being made to expand DNA files. It also reports most young black men are on the database. That's three quarters of young black men in the country. The paper's front page picture is of Jane Andrews, former dresser to the Duchess of York. Royal aide who killed her lover flees prison, the caption. The Mail carries a photo of her with the Duchess and reports she's on the run from an open prison. The Mirror writes of Fergie terror as killer aide goes on run, saying that armed police are now guarding the Duchess's home. The Telegraph leads with the Conservatives' plan to do something different about climate change. Their headline, Recycle and get £130 a year under the Tories. It says the scheme has been piloted successfully by Tory councils in the home counties and that giving householders money is paid for by council savings in reduced landfill tax. The Sun's front page is all about Katie Price currently appearing on TV's I'm a Celebrity in Australia. Jordan, I've Dumped Lover is the headline. But the paper says ITV wants to send Jedwood, the Irish twins from X Factor, out to the jungle to console her. The mirror shows a grumpy picture of her under the caption. Is this the most hated woman in Britain? Well, he did ask, Katie. It chortles. Uh, More news and sport all day at
0: Guardian.co.uk. The Chilcot inquiry into the Iraq war begins today. Sir John Chilcot says he's aiming to provide a full and insightful account of events surrounding the war. But can he deliver? commentator Michael White's in our Westminster office.
1: What you do want to avoid doing is prejudging the issue one way or the other before the man's had time to open his mouth. Uh, He's a former senior civil servant, Northern Ireland office, must have seen a lot there, not much will shock him. He's got an interesting panel of uh, uh, experts on his side, all grown-ups. I don't want to hear people shouting as they're already shouting, whitewash, whitewash, they said that with Hutton and the other, Hutton and Butler, Hutton and Button... Uh, And, uh, you know, you wonder, short of a public hanging of Tony Blair, which is what this is really all about, uh, you wonder what would satisfy them. Let's wait and see
0: you say uh, you know people have already made up their minds about that but i mean th- this is the case isn't it that people do want prosecutions i mean the first comment on uh, yesterday's guardian leader column on the website uh, says you know we won't uh, won't be justice until there's a prosecution
1: well uh, yeah the people who write on websites and on blog sites and ring up radio phone-ins in the evening are not normal people uh, we love them and some of them are our readers although the other papers have them too they're the green ink brigade of in, in the old days they have had a bottle of green ink to write in. Yes, I know some people want prosecutions, but in real life, I hardly meet anybody who does. I do meet some, including quite elderly friends of mine, normally quite gentle people who get very excited about it. Some people do, some people don't. Let's see what uh, uh, Chilcot finds.
0: I mean, you mentioned the other um, inquiries. There have been previous inquiries, and we already know quite a lot about Iraq war, don't we? We know about the dodgy dossier of intelligence. We know about the the shifting uh, views on the legality of the war. I mean, is there much more that can be unearthed?
1: John, that's a very good question to ask, but you better ask it of the people who want another inquiry, because we've had four, and Gordon Brown was bullied as usual into it, and eventually he organised one, and heaven knows what he was thinking of, because it'll all take place in the background to the general election. Typical Gordon Brown, too little, too late. So that'll be a, a really helpful noise for the Labour Party trying to get reelected at this stage. If you're going to delay, and Brown did delay, Why not delay till the last minute so Chilcot takes place when there's another government, which I suspect, you know, might be a Tory government, but that's only speculation, John. Uh, So uh, he's got it wrong as usual, and uh, it'll do no good because the people who want Tony Blair hanged or prosecuted or both in that order, then um, they're not going to be satisfied with whatever the man says, uh, unless they say Blair did it on purpose, he lied his way, he personally uh, uh, killed 600,000 Iraqis. This is a deeply divisive issue, but I do say... Um, I know people feel strongly about it, uh, but uh, it's quite a complicated issue, the Iraq war, and I don't think there's a smoking gun for Sir John Chilcot to find which says, gotcha, he's guilty as charged.
0: Michael White, and there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Also on The Guardian's website today. I'm Paul Howlett, production editor on G2, and in today's paper we have Declan Walsh on the world's most wanted woman, that's Afia Siddiqui. Uh, the neuroscientist who has links to the 9-11 bombings, followed by Emma Sana on bridge construction in the light of the Cockermouth disaster and the collapse of various bridges. What makes them stay up? What makes them collapse? Then we've got Stuart Jeffries, who's talking to Fiona Shaw while she's having a brain scan, which is showing uh, the effect of brain waves when an actor is performing. Uh, And then you should also look out for Alan Bennett, The Habit of Art, which has been digested in our Digestive Read column by John Crace. You can read all about all of these things on guardian.co.uk slash g2.
2: From guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily.
0: A man lay in what seemed to be a coma for 23 years, cut off from the world, before a new scanning system revealed his brain was functioning normally. Now scientists in Belgium fear there may be many other people falsely diagnosed as being comatose. Kate Connolly reports from Berlin.
2: He was a martial arts expert, was in a traffic accident, and for 23 years, doctors believed that uh, he was in a vegetative state um, following the near-fatal crash, um, and uh, they really, they tried initially to communicate with him, doctors and his family, um, but thought that um, that w- there was no possibility of him recovering. Um, and then, uh, a few years ago, uh, a very renowned uh, neurologist in in, uh, in Belgium called Stephen Lores, um, he... Uh, started a study believing that um, many people who are diagnosed as being in a coma actually f- have been falsely diagnosed and among the 44 cases he looked at was Rom Hoban um, who was um, being uh, looked after in a hospital in Zolder and he discovered that uh, Rom was actually um, not in a coma at all, that he was conscious, he just, his problem was that he was completely paralysed to the extent that he wasn't able even to blink an eyelid to to indicate to doctors that um, he actually could understand everything um, that was going on around him. So what's he said about regaining the ability to communicate? Well, he said that he feels that he's been born again. You have to imagine he's um, he's still completely paralysed, of course, but he has very, very minimal movement in his right hand. Um, as a result of that and the fact that doctors have now recognised that he is not in a coma, they've been able to set up a special keyboard for him that he can activate with his right hand, with which he can communicate. And via this communication, he has um, been able to talk a bit about his trauma over the last 23 years, basically being trapped in his body. Um, where doctors believed he was in a coma and he wasn't he said he'll never forget the day they discovered me it was my second birth and he's also described about the fact that um, how he coped with um, being in this um, state where everybody thought he was in a coma he said I had to dream myself away and now he's obviously trying to re-embrace life again as much as he can and um, he's communicating with friends via this machine and um, being able to read books again and it's quite an extraordinary tale.
0: What are the implications of this case on decisions to terminate the lives of people who appear to be in a coma?
2: Well, this seems to be Laurie's, um great mission. That he basically says that um, this could contribute quite a lot to the debate over when decisions should be made to det- to terminate the lives of those who are believed to be um, fully unconscious, but actually have, as in the case of Hoban, a fully functioning brain. So Laurie says that um, there need to be much, much more vigorous tests undertaken um, to check that the brain is really not working at all. And um, he says the problem is that under the current system that um, once somebody is labelled as being without consciousness it's very hard to get rid of that and that obviously happened in the case of Hoban that he was uh, labelled very early on and he was treated as a vegetative patient and um, you know that, um, that was a status that stayed with him until um, this diagnosis was made um, we believe three years ago it's, it's only just come to light now because of a, a scientific paper that um, Loris has um, published
0: Kate Connolly the Holocaust and the two world wars of the 20th century form an important part of history lessons on the national curriculum. And school children are all too familiar with the bloody details of wars from newspapers and bulletins. So how should schools teach pupils about conflict? Martin Wainwright intended a conflict day at Tottington High School in Bury in Greater Manchester.
7: I'm with a couple of um, teachers, Amanda Jacob and Adam Rashard, and four students who've all taken part in um, a conflict day. Um, Amanda, that sounds like you know a typical day in school, a conflict day. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was it about?
2: Well, we, what we did was we wanted to bring in loads of different agencies to show the children how they dealt with conflict around the world. So we introduced, well, we invented a new country called Totonia.
7: Totonia after Tottington.
2: Yes. And what was happening was it was in conflict with its neighbours, which was humanitarian, after the Humanities Department. And we invented the conflict and we showed the children the PowerPoint and then they had to listen to the drama teachers who were exper- like basically involved in the conflict. And then they had to listen to all the other agencies and then solve the conflict.
7: What were you hoping the students would gain from this? We wanted them to see how conflict affected each of the different humanities subjects. So how a conflict that had happened in the past had come to manifest itself in conflict today. And then how that in the future they could manage conflict by seeing what was going on in the two countries. And looking at different sort of scenarios that came up in the afternoon. So we had a news feed going and uh, things had happened like bombings on bridges or... Um, uh, different weather events in different areas of the country, and they had to use all what they'd learned throughout yeah. the day to solve the conflict. Oh, that's good. So they had to react all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did they do? Sorry, I'll come around to you for may, Ellie. Now, can you describe the drama to me, the play that was put on? What, what went? What happened?
3: There was three separate people. There was the poor people, like a representative from there, a rich person, like and a representative from there and then like a terrorist and like a representative from there so and then they 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 all told what they were feeling and what other people what other people in their group were feeling and what was happening with that with what was going on there
7: and fabian you you were just immediately lighting on a real life example of this sort of thing going on in in the real world
3: um it was sort of like the israel and palestine that's been going on for years so like the conflict there and how they're fighting for holy land. Yeah, um, it was very similar to what happened in Israel, the way that the country was divided. And um, yeah, it was um, it was something that you'd expect to see on the news, but obviously it was like make believe because of tatooing and stuff like that.
7: And did you find I sometimes find in, in these disputes that you you hear an Israeli person and you think, oh yes, you know that's right, and then you hear a Palestinian and you think, oh no, that's right. Did, did you did you find you, you came to a conclusion or that you? It was more of understanding all their different viewpoints.
3: Yeah, um, it was very really difficult because the, in the role play, we had the, the the different groups of people, and they were both stating points and they were both arguing with each other. But it wasn't really quite. It was quite hard to tell which was right, really. You saw an insight from all the different points of view.
7: That, that's interesting, and it's interesting that they you had a, a terrorist um, giving their point <laughs> of view. I mean, no, it is interesting because somebody my age, we, we've been through a lot of different terrorist campaigns and eventually it depends but some eventually become called freedom fighters instead of terrorists and did you feel that the, the terrorists put up a, a, a case that you could understand
3: yeah they, they did like the a very fair point that you can relate to like with our lives and how and you, you realize what like what must be going through their minds and they do different things in our world
0: martin wainwright reporting Sales of British blueberries are booming this year after producers reported perfect growing conditions. More than 1,100 tonnes of blueberries were sold in the last 12 months. That's 305% more than last year. Lawrence Olin's is the chairman of the industry body British Summer Fruits.
4: If we look five years ago, the total consumption in the UK was about 2,000 tonnes. Throughout the year, and this year we're going to hit probably nearer ten thousand tons. That's from all sources, not just grown in the UK, obviously.
0: What proportion of blueberries consumed in the UK are also produced in this country?
4: About ten percent.
0: How easy is it to grow blueberries in this country?
4: It, it's quite, it's quite uh, um, relatively easy. It, it grows in temperate and warmer climates, so we can grow them. Um, probably best grown under under polythene under plastic and certainly netting to prevent problems with with birds but no it's it's um, it, it is a temperate certain varieties are temperate uh, climate crops so it's no problem
0: and one of my colleagues was telling me earlier that uh, he tried to grow blueberries earlier this year without success i mean ca- is it possible to grow um, them in your garden fairly easily
4: no because it needs first of all it's a plant that needs acidic soil so if you haven't got acidic soil then you can't grow them at all they are best grown in pots in the uk um, but of course they, you know, they, they do suffer from uh, a lot of rain uh, if, if it rains a lot when you want to pick them and also um, the birds like them so uh, they're not an easy crop to grow.
0: If more and more blueberries are being consumed, is this going to threaten traditional British-grown berries like blackberries and so on?
4: Doesn't seem to me. It, it looks like it's it's incremental sales, no question about that. Uh, you know, it it's part of the the berry mix very much so, and uh, it get, it's is pushing for the second you know second most popular ber- the berry after strawberries.
0: Do you, do you eat them at home? Do you just eat them neat, or, or you know, what's the best way to eat them? do You think?
4: No, they're not. They're not uh, used for cooking. So I mean, basically, they they're used straight from the punnet. People are just snacking on them or putting them on cereals in the morning uh, or part of a, a fruit salad maybe in the evening or for desserts.
1: Guardian
2: Daily, news and reports from around the world.
0: We're going to be able to use ordnance survey maps online free of charge from April next year. and It's something that the Guardian's been campaigning about for several years. The announcement was made last week at a Downing Street seminar. Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, was recruited by the Prime Minister to free up government data. He told Technology Guardian editor Charles Arthur why it's so important to make this information available.
5: It turns out that it's a key thing. It, It turns out that lots of data, in fact, is geographically referenced. And if in this country you have data, then typically you tie it to the grid reference. uh, and then you use that grid reference to compare with other things but the grid reference itself was part of the Ordnance survey mapping system so the moment you've done that uh, or another example that came up on the web recently somebody was uh, complaining that they taken people take old maps they just sort of take a scan of an old map and then they stretch it using morphing software so that it fits over the grid so then you can use so that you can look at that map to see how things used to be but Overlaid onto an existing map, so that when you so when you've done that stretching, if you stretch it onto 70 map, suddenly that old map, even though it's way out of copyright, becomes quote sort of old, copyright alternate survey unquote because you've used some of their data to actually peg it out on the right to stretch it
3: this, this so, is the,
0: the derived data uh, problem
5: so explicitly getting rid of that derived data problem so that you can uh, so that suddenly you'll be able to use all these old maps even uh, even if they've been pinned onto the ordinate survey grid so the derived data suddenly becomes available and that opens up a lot of things which are, uh, which really should have been available before.
0: And you've got a lot of data sets coming up which are going to be made available through data.gov.uk.
5: The rule of thumb, if you're in government, pretty much in any country, but if you've got a freedom of information law, if you're looking at a piece of data which, oh. if somebody asked for it under the freedom of information, you would give it to them, then you put it on the web. And we don't even know how many data sets there are out there. I think, oh, but so, you know, if you're in government and you're listening to this... Then think about what you've got, okay, and, uh, and talk to somebody about how to get it onto the web. Uh, you know, we're getting more and more little teams who are teaching each other about how to do this. Uh, but, but the first thing to do is just put the data up as it is and let other people give you feedback about whether they'd like it in a different format or something. But just put it out there. because you never know how data is going to get used. You never know how somebody will have a question to ask which involves access to your data to be able to answer it. And it may involve them figuring out how a virus is spreading, it may involve them you know, tracking down a crime, it may involve uh, them realizing how public services could be improved. There are all kinds of things. Data gets reused in serendipitous ways, and, uh, and that's, the, that's the strength of it, that's the power of it, that's the power which has been locked up until now.
0: Tim Berners-Lee, and you can hear more about that in this week's Tech Weekly Podcast at guardian.co.uk slash audio. Andy Duckworth and Tim Maybe with the producers of this edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening.